Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, it's good to see all of you. Good morning. Good morning, yes, morning Edwin. We are told it's going to be a very hot day. Oh, this is our driver, Edwin Frank. You've heard his voice throughout the series as he drives us around Grenada. Edwin's not just a driver, though, is he, Clive? Though he's an excellent one. He's had a long career in the tourism industry in Grenada. Before that, he worked in national radio during Grenada's revolution and the US military intervention 40 years ago. Edwin knows everything there is to know about Grenada, past and present. Edwin, this road that we're on now, it's so close to the sea. What happens when you get a storm? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> if you look at these sea defences, you will understand that at present, these are designed to protect the road and the village should there be a storm. And we know for a fact that not too long ago, back in 1999, when Hurricane Lenny impacted the Eastern Caribbean islands, we as Grenadians suffered immensely, those of us who lived in these low-lying areas. The road was badly compromised by massive waves that were generated. But as we look at it now, with these um, pretty elaborate sea defenses, we can feel a little safe going forward. A little safe, but I mean, they're about eight feet off the road. Right. If you have a 10 foot surge, these sea defences aren't really going to protect you, are they? Storms are getting more and more intense. I know, because with climate change, we hear a lot about sea level rises and that we are anticipating, in fact, that should the necessary... What he's telling us about here is the sorrowful flood defences next to a coastal road as we drive from Guaf to St George's. This is a main road, one that is essential for so many people to get to and from work, school, college, and it has homes on the other side of it. Yeah, and those rather inadequate barriers there at the side of the road, they're just a perfect illustration of the risk that climate change poses to Grenada and all the Caribbean islands, which of course are at sea level and therefore they're at risk from rising water levels and the hurricanes of increasing intensity. So in this episode, we're going to be asking how the climate conversation intersects with the reparatory justice movement and why this might just be the key for delivering reparations to the Caribbean. This is Heirs of Enslavement, Episode 4. Well, 
Clive, last time we heard about the key issues that Grenada and the other Caribbean countries want Britain and the former colonial powers to address with reparations to make up for the damage these countries did historically by enslaving Africans through the transatlantic slave trade. Investment in education and health care are in CARICOM, that's the Caribbean community's 10-point reparations plan. But there are two other issues that we're going to focus on today, which aren't explicitly mentioned in the 10-point plan. It was written back in 2014, but they've become of pressing concern and they're closely linked. First of all, help to deal with the impact of climate change and then debt relief. And actually, it's a great time to be talking about this because world leaders have just arrived in Dubai for the COP28 Climate Change Summit, where this conversation will be part of the agenda. Yes, climate change is a really big deal here in the Caribbean. It's a big deal everywhere, but the Caribbean nations are close to the equator. They're small islands with a lot of coast during a time of rising sea levels, and they're smack bang in the middle of the hurricane belt. Well, and someone who knows all about that is Russell Fielden, the founder of the True Blue Bay Resort in Grenada, and he referenced the after effects of a hurricane in that conversation you had with him in the last episode, Clive. Russ was talking about Hurricane Ivan, which struck in 2004. Yes, hurricanes hit this part of the world regularly, but Hurricane Ivan was the worst to hit Grenada in more than 50 years, and it was catastrophic. More than 30 people lost their lives and more than 90% of homes were damaged. In fact, you can still see the legacy of the hurricane when you're driving around. You often see these derelict houses with parts missing, roofs off, or trees growing out of the windows. Well, yeah, the fact that you can still see the damage from Hurricane Ivan, which struck almost 20 years ago as we travel around Grenada today, shows just how hard it is to rebuild here. And the threat from an unstable climate is only growing. Here's Ali Gill, chair of Grenada's National Reparations Committee. As you can see, the island is, is surrounded by water. God thus far has pierced anything of a tsunami in the Caribbean region. But we have had hurricanes annually almost. And so that every time we build back, we await another hurricane to strike. The most you can do is to try to see how you can reduce the impact. But you cannot move the island and hide it from a hurricane. You cannot move the island and, and, and hide it from the impact of, of climate change. We are here. The, the weather conditions that we are experiencing now as a boy growing up, we never had this. This used to be quote-unquote rainy season. Now we are having more sun in the rainy season than rain. And, and, and the, uh, the next part of it, we've had a lots of rain when we're supposed to have lots of sun. So in our own lifetime, we are experiencing that change. Actually, it's more than just the fact that a rebuild is only temporary. The rebuild in Grenada after Hurricane Ivan was estimated to cost 900 million US dollars. That's more than double the country's GDP. And there's only one way out of that, and it's to borrow more money. 
And actually, Clive, after the 2004 hurricane, Grenada couldn't meet its debt repayments because of the cost of rebuilding and the lost economic activity. And it had to actually ask the international lenders to restructure its debt with the idea of a pause in future debt repayments if there was another hurricane. So that idea is gaining even more currency now. This part of the world has always suffered hurricanes, but climate change is making them more frequent and more intense. If you imagine a future in which hurricanes are regularly destroying a majority of homes on an island, it's not hard to understand how the climate and debt crises are interlinked. And Laura, add to the fact that people in Grenada never asked to be living on such a vulnerable island in the first place and have had very little part in creating the climate crisis. And you start to see how climate and reparations are bound up together. Right. Now, clearly, this isn't a problem faced exclusively by Grenada. All the islands in the Caribbean are vulnerable to hurricanes and experience the same burdens when it comes to trying to clear up the devastation. But there's one island, one that was also formerly a British colony, that has made history with its policy design in this area. And so for the rest of the episode, we're taking you to Barbados. So Clive, Barbados is a really interesting player in all of this for several reasons. It was settled by the British in the 17th century. And unlike, say, Grenada, which was a pawn going back and forth between the French and the British as they wrestled for control of it, Barbados was only colonised by the British. It's one of the more popular islands with tourists. And that, of course, is based around the beaches on the coast, the most vulnerable part of the island to climate change. And when you look around Barbados compared to Grenada, you can see just how flat Barbados is and therefore potentially very vulnerable to rises in sea levels and to storms and other things like that. So, are you, you know, I think listening to the radio, listening to what people have been talking about here, you can see that this is a real issue. There are lots of adverts for making your home safer. Um, there are tsunami points, safe points on the beach. So you can really get a feel for just how much of an issue this is here. Right. And the Prime Minister of Barbados, Mia Motley, has become a really powerful figure in the climate change debate, framing her call to action in moral terms, calling on the rich nations who are the polluters to help the developing countries like Barbados, who are most at risk from rising sea levels. Here's one of Mia Motley's speeches. We have the collective capacity to transform. We know what it is to remove slavery from our civilization. We know what it is to be able to find a vaccine within two years when a pandemic hits us. We know what it is to put a man on the moon and now we put in Rover on Mars. We know what it is. But the simple political will that is necessary not just to come here and make promises, but to deliver on them and to make a definable difference in the lives of the people who we have a responsibility to serve seems still not to be capable of being produced. I ask us how many more and how much more must happen. 
We wanted to really get a sense of how the island is approaching this issue in parallel to reparations. So we went to talk to a really important person in Barbados's reparations work. Well, I am David Komishong. I am Barbados's ambassador to the Caribbean community, CARICOM, and to the Association of Caribbean States. And I'm also the vice chair of Barbados's National Task Force on Reparations. I asked David if he felt there was a link between the need for all this spending on climate resiliency in the Caribbean and reparatory justice for slavery. After all, it was British slave owners who brought Africans to Barbados against their will nearly 400 years ago, and it's their descendants today who are suffering from the impact of climate change. Yeah, the two things are um, intrinsically linked. You know, we uh, Britain's Industrial Revolution began in Barbados. I mean, literally began in Barbados. Um, in, in 1640s, there were no factories in England. If you wanted to find a factory, you had to come to Barbados. Um, the combined sugar plantation, sugar factory, you know, the canes of field to, to grow the canes, the windmill to, to grind the, the cane stalks to produce the cane juice, then the, the boiling house, a sugar factory to take the cane juice through various chemical and heating um, processes to produce sugar, to produce rum, to produce molasses. That's the beginning of Britain's um, Industrial Revolution. And that those early um, industrial installations in places like Barbados produce the first billionaire class. They produce, you know, tremendous profits that are, are funneled back to the UK and um, to drive, to be the dynamo that drives the whole industrial development of, of Britain, you know, the whole triangular trade from uh, Britain to the west coast of Africa to, to the Caribbean, back to, back to Britain. That is the dynamo. And at the center of that dynamo are the sugar plantations of places like Barbados. So we understand only too well that um, the great European industries upon which um, Europe's, Europe's wealth was built that generated all of those greenhouse gases over the past 300 years that are now still trapped in the Earth's atmosphere, um, they, that's what has caused the global warming that is now causing such negative consequences for us. So we were victimized 200 years ago to create those industrial installations that have produced the greenhouse gases that now um, cause us to be victimized a second time. Um, so, you know, if you look at it within those terms, um, clearly, clearly we are owed. Um, it, 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 how could it be fair? that we must now, we, we who have done nothing to cause <laughs> the global warming, in fact, who were, who were looted and plundered to create the industrial installations, that we now must put ourselves into debt to adapt, to adapt to, to the <clears throat> negative um, climatic conditions. And it does seem kind of unfair, Laura, doesn't it, that They've kind of been dumped on these islands. They've been exploited. They've had nothing given to them, nothing left for them. And then 
this climate crisis hits them, in part because of the industrialization that they helped fund, and now they have to kind of plead for, for resources to help defend themselves against hurricanes and rising sea levels. Right. So Hilary Beckles told us that people don't historicize their lives. But if you did in the Caribbean, you would have a right to feel pretty cross about the situation, wouldn't you? I think you would. And, and whether it's their responsibility or not, Barbados is leading the way in bringing everything we've talked about in this episode together in policy. And in 2022, Prime Minister Motley announced the Bridgetown Initiative. Bridgetown is the capital of Barbados. Now, we could explain that to you ourselves, but instead, we found someone who helped design the policy. Because we share this one climate, even if there wasn't reparative and justice issue, a compensation issue, the world would want to be dealing with this. That's coming up after this. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Avinash per sword. So when I was an unreconstructed banker, if ever I had told the traders to do something and they lost money, they would stagger over to the desk and say, live by the per sword, die. This is Avinash per sword. He's a former economist, and these days he's special envoy to the Barbadian prime minister for climate finance. So we managed to steal Avinash away briefly, he's a very busy man, and asked him to explain what the Bridgetown Initiative would do. So the Bridgetown Initiative is a global plan. It's not about Barbados. It's not about the Caribbean. It's about the world. It's about how can we preserve the planet. And we are talking about that plan because we in the Caribbean are the canaries in the mine. Uh, because we are small islands by the equator, uh, the equator is where global warming has got its biggest impact. Temperatures will rise to the highest level and sea levels rise to the highest level. I'm an economist, so I don't know much science. Someone had to explain to me that because of the Earth's spin, when the glaciers melt, the water doesn't stay at the poles. It ends up on the equator. So we're seeing the biggest increases of sea levels. And remember, 
three quarters of our national economy is on the coast. So this is very serious to us. That's not the case, say, in Britain. But we are a tourism island, a visitor economy. They want to be on the on the beach, on the coast. They don't want to be inland. And so that has huge repercussions for us. So with the canaries in the mind, we can see the problem. But we realize that the only way it's going to be solved, and if we don't solve it, we're going to drown and burn up. The only way it's going to be solved is if we have a global approach to this problem. And we recognize um, some of the deep justice and iniquity aspects of it that helps you to understand the problem. So global warming is caused by emissions, not current emissions, but the stock of emissions. The reason why these gases are a problem is because when they go up there, they stay up there. They stay up there for 1,000 years. So we have the entire industrial revolution is still up in our atmosphere. And the rich countries cause that. The rich countries represent about 80% of the stock of greenhouse gases. And to be frank, that's how they got rich. So they can't say that was an accidental thing that just happened. They are rich today. Their wealth today is a direct result of the amount of greenhouse gases they've put up in the atmosphere, and that's causing global warming. But today... The developing countries, as they try to catch up with economies, they're not big emitters. So we can't solve the problem without the developing countries being involved, even though they didn't, they didn't cause it. But they are going to be a key part of the solution. So the Bridgetown Initiative is basically uh, four main things. And it's about how do we get investment which is now concentrated in the rich countries to come to the developing world to finance the green transformation so that these countries have a transformation of their economies faster and a bigger scale than has been ever done anywhere else, even by the rich countries. That requires investment, a lot of investment, more investment than any government could borrow for. That's why we need to get the private investors involved with that. Secondly, we need huge amounts of money to make our economies more resilient to this rising sea levels. Um, Rising sea levels not only uh, causes great flood damage. They're things like the kind of things you, you only get get to know when you when you when you're on the island and and, and working in this area. There's a there's a phrase salt water intrusion. As the sea levels rise, salt water is getting into our freshwater wells. Wow. The minute you get salt water in your freshwater wells, you're done for. So we have to spend a lot of money actually stopping that happening. But if we if we spent all this money, we would sink under oceans of debt before the sea levels rise up. So we have to get the development banks. These are banks that are there to finance development over the long term at low cost. We need to get them to be lending long-term money, three times more lending than they currently lend. We need them to do that for these climate-vulnerable countries. Otherwise, we can't finance the, the, the resilience and adaptation we need. The third part of Bridgetown, we've been very careful and that's why the rich countries have been listening to us to say, look, we don't need, we're not plundering your aid budget. We're not asking you and your taxpayers to spend a lot of money. We're going to get the private sector to invest. We're going to get the development banks to build, to help us build resilience. But there's some things, the only way to do this is through taxpayers' money. And that's dealing with loss and damage after a climatic event. 
There are two types of climatic events. There's extreme weather events like a hurricane, flood, and there's what's called slow onset events. They are the gradual incremental increase in sea levels slowly taking over an island. Who lives in the most precarious places? The poorest people. Whose livelihoods are most vulnerable? The poorest people. So when we replace their livelihood, we replace their homes, that's a that's a money that we can't borrow for because every time we have a flood, we have to borrow for that, we will sink. And so the third part of Bridgetown is getting some uh, more revenues, more taxes to pay for this loss and damage. And the final thing with Bridgetown is the whole system needs to be much more sensitive to a world of greater shocks, more shock absorbing. So we're, we, we, we have some, some things called pause clauses in our debt. It's like, it's like a, a loan or a mortgage where if a disaster happens, you don't have to pay for two years. You pay it back afterwards, but for two years you have breathing space. So that's a key part of Bridgetown too. These four things, really about transforming the financial system to allow the world to become green, to become adapted, and to raise the money for loss and damage. And that's what Bridgetown is about. So we're here in Grenada, and in 2004, Hurricane Ivan tore across this island and devastated it. 73 out of 75 primary schools were impacted. Grenada then soon couldn't afford its debt repayments because of all the debt had to take on to deal with the hurricane. So is part of Bridgetown trying to stop climate emergencies becoming debt emergencies? So how would Bridgetown have helped Grenada? There are two direct ways. One is they would have had a more resilient infrastructure, buildings, seawall defences, drainage systems. So Ivan, after Grenada, went over to Cayman. And Cayman, uh, the Cayman Islands, are, you know, just a few feet above water. So Ivan floods the Cayman. But Cayman doesn't have this problem because Cayman's a rich country and has all this resilient infrastructure. So a key part of Bridgetown is we need to build much stronger resilience. And resilience isn't just about buildings. Resilience is about people, resilient people, resilient systems, resilient healthcare. Um, It's about flexible, adaptable systems. And then after Ivan, they had to go into debt to pay for the cleaning up, for the restoration, rebuilding. Bridgetown is about saying, well, you need to be able to access some grant money for that. Because if every time that happens, you borrow money for you know, you're going to topple over, which is what happened to them. Is there a reparatory justice element to the Bridgetown initiative in the sense that it's about avoiding climate emergencies becoming debt emergencies? People are only in the Caribbean because their ancestors were enslaved by the former colonial powers. Is there a sense in which it could be part of a a grand bargain, a recognizing that it's time to move on from a painful historical past. And the pressing nature of the climate emergency means it's time to enable the Caribbean countries to move forward without being indebted in the event of a natural disaster. I think there are strong elements of that. But, you know, I think climate is a little bit different than some of the other deep development um, challenges in that 
because we share this one climate, that even if there wasn't a reparative, reparative and justice issue, a compensation issue, the world would want to be dealing with this in a in a joint and an out of sure. solidarity, because we we all um, we we all suffer from the climate uh, and failing and the planet failing. But I think that development as a whole, because climate is intertwined with development, you can't do development and ignore the climate. You can't try to spend money on aid and then ignore the fact that a hurricane comes along and wipes out a country. Um, you can't just do with climate and not do with development. So the two things are really very tied up together. And it's certainly the case that the... I mean, the way I tend to, to think about it is that developing countries, um, they, they need the opportunity. They need the space to develop. And we have a world system today which has actually narrowed their space, has made it harder and harder for them to develop. And we can't simply say tough luck because the rich countries are rich because of the way they underdeveloped the developing countries. And so there needs to be some recognition of that. So I think this is a great initiative, Laura, uh, because it's it's using the backdrop of the morality of reparations to make a very clear and sensible business case as to why banks and the IMF and other financial institutions will want to give the Caribbean islands, given the climate crisis, opportunities to get their economies on their own feet and to pay back those debts. Those bankers, uh, those financial institutions, they want their money back. And what the Caribbean are doing is saying, well, let us do that, but without staying constantly in debt. And I think it makes sense. Well, it makes sense in an era of climate change and when the Caribbean islands already heavily indebted or even more risk of, of plunging into debt. What's interesting to me is the way that um, Prime Minister Mia Motley-Clive, she's not making it explicitly reparatory. And people around her say that, you know, she's got some reservations about reparations per se. She doesn't like the begging bowl idea. She wants this to be an equal partnership. And I guess that's the thing about the Bridgetown Initiative and how it's framed. And I guess we have to be you know, kind of clear, there isn't a complete agreement, I imagine, amongst all the Caribbean leaders and islands about the way forward with this, because some islands like Barbados are more advanced than others. So, you know, I think some of them really do need uh, that reparatory justice, that kind of cash injection, if you want to call it that, although that's not all it is, to be able to get themselves on their feet. But I definitely think the Bridgetown Initiative shows that the Caribbean can punch above its weight uh, and that that kind of, I think, reinforces the arguments for reparations. So it's a very exciting initiative. Well, Prime Minister Motley's Bridgetown Initiative isn't something that Western countries have agreed to yet. But one of the points from it, a loss and damage fund for vulnerable countries like Barbados, Grenada and really everywhere else in the Caribbean affected by climate change, was agreed in principle last year. And then early in November this year, after heated negotiations, which Avinash Persaud played a key role in, diplomats agreed on a draft framework for that fund. But who's going to put up the money? As this episode is going out, Clive, that's what negotiators at the massive UN Climate Summit COP28 will be trying to hammer out. 
But it'll be really interesting to see if this happens, Laura. I see the EU is trailing what it's calling a substantial contribution to the Climate Damage Fund, though we won't know or hear how much they're actually going to give until the Dubai summit. Will this be seen as reparations? I don't know. I don't think it should be because I think that's something that should be separate. But maybe some will. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I don't think it will be seen as explicitly reparatory as related to the transatlantic slave trade. But nonetheless, there is this moral responsibility that the polluting countries in the West, who were also the former colonial powers who brought people's ancestors to the Caribbean, you know, there's definitely a reason why they're on the hook to help out those countries now really threatened by climate change. So I don't know, Clive. So I wonder whether it would encourage states like the United Kingdom to think more seriously about reparations or, or could climate justice be the way reparations happen without being called reparations, a, a kind of more politically acceptable way of the former colonial powers who enslave these nations, recognising that they do have a moral duty to step up and help mitigate the impact of, of the climate crisis. Fascinating, especially when you think that climate change is the existential threat, which is mobilising the young. So maybe this is a way to get the support of the younger generation behind reparations. Well, that's one of the questions we'll be asking next time as we head back to the UK to ask where the case for reparations for the Caribbean over slavery has got to there. We punched above our weight when we enslaved people. Now we have to punch above our weight in diplomacy. That's next time on Heirs of Enslavement. Heirs of Enslavement is a Persephonica production. It was presented by me, Laura Trevelyan, and Clive Lewis. Our producer is Rosie Stouffer. Our beautiful steel pan theme is by Andre Greenidge, with additional scored music from Senna Verdi. The sound design is by Aerophon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.